0: So, first Bible reading, Old Testament, is Ezekiel chapter thirty-four, verses eleven to sixteen.
1: Ezekiel thirty-four, eleven to sixteen.
0: Well, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I. I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I'll bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall there be grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I'll bring them back, and I'll bring back the strayed, and I'll bind up the injured, and I'll strengthen the weak." And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 15.
1: Luke 15 verses
0: 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying... This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you. There'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin that i had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner Who repents?
2: Our God, our Father, the one who has caused us to live in Christ, we humbly come before you now, desiring to hear you speak. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has always spoken and always will speak. And so we do pray that we would be attentive to your voice. We do pray, Lord, that you would incline our hearts, our lives to the truth that you speak and lord i pray that you would cause me to uh, stand aside and to let you speak clearly and to keep the main thing the plain thing and the plain thing the main thing and that we would leave here today desiring to live for you to glorify you to make you known and to be repentant godly people in jesus christ amen good morning chapel street morning to the folks online and those that listen through the podcast later. It's my joy and privilege to be back in Luke with the rest of you. I enjoyed getting back into it last week with Dave leading us. I've enjoyed Christmas, uh, but it's also good to get back into where we were. And I'm going to not delay on this. I'm going to get straight into the text today, Luke 15, as you'll know. um, 1 to 10 is the text. It's just been read for us in tandem with Ezekiel and I want us to note some specific things that pertain to us today as much as to the people in the ancient world. All the Bible is relevant to us. We mustn't just take it and say well that was good back then and fascinating. It should be good for us too and frankly more than fascinating. We'll see right at the beginning of this text that the Lord. Or well, Luke tells us that the Lord is speaking to a bunch of people. He's speaking here to tax collectors, clearly. He's speaking to sinners, as they're described. And, of course, he's speaking to Pharisees and scribes, because they're never far away from Jesus. And we learn from the text straight away that the sinners, the tax collectors, also known as publicans, are listening. They go to hear him. They're just hanging on or hanging around. Their specific aim is to listen to Christ. And I hope that's our case today. We also learn, though, that the Pharisees, who are obviously listening, are grumbling. I hope we're not grumbling today, but they are. And specifically, they say this man, referring to Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus tells them three parables and we're just going to look at the first and the second, the lost sheep and the lost coin. I think Kev will be bringing the word to us next week on the third, which is a prodigal son. And then he goes on with more parables with slightly different meanings. So the lost sheep, the lost coin, I think uh, the titles that often get added to the Bible that aren't in the original text, but help us to form sections and understand uh, what's in them are a bit misleading in this case because they're not about the lost coin they're not really about the lost sheep it's not actually really about the product of sun of course those things are contained in these parables it's really about god seeking
1: waiting looking being patient calling watching we must see ourselves in these texts but we must see Jesus
2: we must see God without a doubt so I think they're incorrectly named the the weight or the focus is a little bit misplaced so make sure that we get that right as we go through this parables themselves also need to be interpreted very very carefully Uh, I'll probably say this any time that I'm standing here talking um, in the context of a parable we need to be careful not to try and interpret every single detail of a parable because we'll turn it into something bigger and frankly much more complex uh, than it really is parables are parabolic they're giving you a general meaning which is a fundamental truth but if we pick away at every detail we'll miss that truth (laughs) Rather than just getting the expression as a prayer, keeping the main thing the plain thing and the plain thing the main thing. I also would like us to note as we go through this text that it's also about repentance. It's about someone seeking, someone being found, someone repenting, and there being great rejoicing. And many people have sought to argue that this text is really just about people repenting unto salvation what I mean by that is simply to come to Christ to be saved from our sins and a terrible destiny of hell and eternal punishment we need to repent and that's true right and that's certainly what the text is about but I also want us to note that it's about sanctification as well the need to go on repenting the need to go on confessing and acknowledging our sin, because I don't know about you, but I'm still a sinner. I'm saved from my sin. I'm declared righteous by God in Christ, but I need to continue repenting. In fact, continuing to repent is evidence that I am actually saved. So I want to say that the text is about both of them, and I've just got two points, simple points, I hope, with a bunch of subpoints um, that will draw us into that, and then I want us to focus a little more on what repentance really means. So point number one then, God seeking the lost shows us his heart. God seeking the lost shows us his heart. Look back at Luke 15 verse 4, Jesus says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. I want us to note that this man that Jesus is talking about is himself, right? He's putting it forward and helping people understand that you would go after the last sheep. And I was thinking about that: Would I go after that one lost sheep? There are a hundred sheep, and I know many people in Australia have a lot more than a hundred sheep. But if there were a hundred sheep and one of them disappeared and went went lost, got lost. Would I actually go after it? I mean, after all, I still have 99, and chances are it could take a while or could be quite perilous to find that missing sheep. Well, the fact that Jesus goes looking for that missing sheep tells us something about his heart. He loves the sheep that's missing. He loves the 99 that are still here, but the one that isn't here, he wants it's mine. Where is it? And so he goes to find it. The sheep matters to him it shows us something about what's in his heart you know that experience yourself you have things in your heart concerning people my my eldest daughter and son-in-law have moved to uh, Britain and uh, it's a long way away and my heart aches because she's my kin I love her I love my son-in-law and they're a long way away and so we understand that this notion of Jesus The shepherd going to find that lost sheep matters to him because his heart yearns to see it. I think there are two things here that help us to know that this is really about his heart. And the first one is his persistence. Jesus persists in finding that lost sheep. Do you see in verse 4? What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. That doesn't mean once he finds it, he stops. I mean, that's the reality, but it means he keeps looking for the sheep until he finds it, (laughs) He doesn't give up. I don't know about you, but I I lost my pants this morning, a pair of my pants, and uh, I've only got two. No, I've got a few more than two. And I said to the oracle of all clothing in our household, my dear wife, where's my pants? I've needed my smart pants for church. And she said, well, I don't know, have you lost them? My response was, no, of course I've not lost them. I know they're here somewhere. I just can't find them. And she said, no, you've lost them and promptly produced them for me. So I'm wearing my good ones today. We know what it's like to lose something. Uh, We probably know what it's like to give up looking for something. We might even know that it's in the house, but we just can't find it. The scissors, the glasses, whatever it may be, our wallets, our keys, we've lost all of these things. Sometimes we will pursue finding them. I need my wallet. Sometimes we think, I better go get another set of uh, scissors. I just can't find them. Well, Jesus isn't like that. He continues seeking until he finds He doesn't give up. He persists because his heart loves the lost sheep. He wants to find it. He continues. He never gives up in spite of us giving up. We sometimes give up on him in the same way. And the second reason I think this shows us something about Jesus' heart is that he is diligent. He doesn't just persist. He persists in a big way. Verse five, just have a little look at this. This is about finding the sheep. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, I'm not a shepherd, but I have seen shepherds carry sheep on their shoulders. I'm sure we've all seen that picture. And I wondered why they do that. Perhaps, you know, they've hurt themselves and they need to be carried. But I think one of the other reasons is they run away again. They're lost. They're, without, they're, they're away from the flock. They're lost. And so Jesus is this image of holding on to the sheep. They have them over the shoulders and they hold the legs until they brought them safe uh, to the rest of the flock. A beautiful image for us. Have you ever had that mem- memory when you were young, asking to ride on your, your dad's shoulders? Piggyback dad give me a piggyback okay there's that kind of closeness there's probably laziness sometimes but there's that closeness of being with your father it's a lovely image isn't it, it doesn't just grab the sheep by the scruff of its neck and drag it back it picks it up he's got diligence about it. it wants to make sure that now he's found that sheep that he returns it safely to the flock Verse eight, but what woman, just considering the coin, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and seek diligently? That's the way to find something, isn't it? We need light, let's illuminate the room, let's sweep out the room or the whole house until we find it because we sought diligently for it. And again, it says, until she finds it. God isn't just calling from afar. He's calling diligently. We're part of that. We're part of how that call works in the church. Another example of that in the Bible is the Lord going into Samaria, leaves Jerusalem, and he heads north to Galilee. And you may or may not know this, but Jews then, and to some extent Orthodox Jews now, don't enter the Samarian land it's unclean they're not really jews in israel's mind they're something less than a jew and so they're unclean and if the jews walk into samaria they become contaminated with sin and so the practice is when you leave jerusalem head north is you cross the jordan and go up the other side away from samaria and into galilee that way but not so with jesus jesus goes into samaria in fact so extraordinary is this that the disciples follow him but the crowds don't (laughs) the crowds go east and up and then in to galilee it's very unusual jesus is seeking people in samaria who does he find He finds the woman at the well he seeks someone in particular by going into a difficult land she's born again i believe I think that's what that story is about. It's a beautiful discourse around where do you worship? Where should you worship? Around sin. And he puts his finger on her sin. He calls her. He seeks the lost. And many other examples into in, in the Bible around that. He won't fail, Jesus, will he? When he seeks, he's not going to fail. He's going to continue. He's going to be diligent. He won't give up. How does he seek today? And this time he was physically there he was seeking and he was calling he was teaching and ultimately he went to the cross but how does he seek today i want to say that there's three things he uses to seek one is his word he's doing it right now as i try and articulate this he's seeking he's calling does it through his word and it's powerful isn't it anybody not think the word of god's powerful does it through his church i know that god can and does things supernaturally and calls people in unusual ways sometimes but in this era he uses the church the word and of course that's all done through his holy spirit his holy spirit's the author of the word his holy spirit lives in us doesn't he? he called you he saw you And the gospel, at the heart of the calling, seeking power of the word, which we should be proclaiming, declaring,
1: it has power to repel or retrieve, doesn't it?
2: The gospel is either a stench of death, the Bible says, to those who are dying or is a sweet aroma of Christ. Many years ago, I was in a church in Scotland, and the pastor was preaching the gospel, and boy, he was really giving it loudly, as they say in Scotland. He was really going for it. Heaven was there, hell was there, the cross was there. It was amazing. I was pinned to my seat. I was super encouraged, and right in the middle of this, this gentleman stood up in the congregation, clearly very offended. He walked to the edge of the seats, and he walked up to the back, and he walked out the front of the church and we heard the big doors the 10-foot doors closing and slamming and all the congregation were clearly aware of this I was I was really disturbed by it and the pastor said don't worry about him he heard it he didn't like it but he heard it and he left it repelled him there was the stench of death to him it offended him so don't worry about him what about you?" what about you could have heard a pin drop the gospel either repels or retrieves god seeking through the power of his word through the proclamation of his word through the church the declaration declaration of the gospel either repels or it retrieves in john 10 jesus says i told you and you did not believe The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Amen. Is that encouraging he found you <laughs> he called you he's not going to let you go if you're truly a christian you know romans there's many many texts in it in the word we don't have time to look at them all romans 10 the apostle tells us that faith comes by hearing the seeking the responding comes by hearing and hearing through the word of christ jesus will find his lost through his spirit through the power of his word, through his church. I hope that convicts you. And I was putting this together, that really convicted me. I stand here sometimes and I claim to know Christ. Do I make him known? Do I read his word? Do I walk in step with
1: the spirit? What a great God It would do that. You see something of his heart? So point number one was
2: God seeking the lost shows us his heart. Point number two, man's repentance leads to rejoicing in heaven. Man's repentance leads to rejoicing in heaven. I mean, ultimately, this is the point that he calls us. This is the reason, not just our salvation, so that we can enjoy Christ, know him forever and to rejoice with him, but also to see him and others rejoice let's look at the text again the shepherd when he finds the lost sheep verse 6 and when he comes home that's when the, the shepherd has returned home with the lost sheep he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them rejoice with me i found the lost sheep rejoice with me for i have found my sheep that was lost just so i tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need repentance verse 9 in the coin and when she has found it she calls together her friends and neighbors saying rejoice with me i found the coin that i'd lost just so jesus says i tell you there's joy before the angels of god over one sinner who repents jesus finds he seeks the lost sinner repents and there is rejoicing you know that you pray for people and by god's grace some come through repentance through faith what do you do you rejoice don't you sam got saved (laughs) what a powerful word you rejoice, and there's a picture of much rejoicing, because who's rejoicing? Well, the shepherd, number one. It's rejoicing. His friends are rejoicing. The woman is rejoicing. Her friends are rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing before the angels. I've heard people say that when so-and-so becomes a Christian. The, heavens are re- the, the angels are rejoicing. Forget the angels. The king of kings rejoicing, because <laughs> he sought you, and you were lost. I want to say that all of this is a picture of the experience that the Lord and the heavenly host have when someone turns to Christ for salvation through repentance or returning to Christ from sin as a daily need. I become a Christian, and we stop repenting. That's not right fall back into sin we are by nature still sinful this new creation living in the old flesh causing it constantly to
1: sin read romans 6 you want to know about the battle in romans 7 and 8 9 and 10 it's a picture of the experience that the lord has when someone turns to him for salvation or continues to turn away from sin It's a daily need So why is there rejoicing
2: from repentance? Again, just got two simple reasons. First is repentance as a fruit, if you will, of trusting God, acknowledging, confessing, is the thing that brings reconciliation. It's a final step, isn't it? Coming into the presence of God and asking for forgiveness. And why wouldn't you rejoice over that? Christ died to make it possible, and in doing so, it pleases him to see people come to him. The word says the Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The second reason I think repentance brings rejoicing is that it's actually an act of worship. It's an act of worship, not just something we do because we're told to repent. It's an act of worship. It leads, or at least it should lead, to the bearing of good fruit. It leads to good works. Genuine repentance doesn't just get us back with God, as it were, in peace. It actually bears fruit. Who for? For Him. (laughs) No wonder he rejoices. Because you and I are prepared for good works. That's why we exist. It's not for our own benefit. It's for God's. And we actually derive joy from that. That's what's so amazing about this. There's a couple of rebukes in this text. And I wonder whether he is actually trying to have a dig at the Pharisees. Remember at the beginning of the text, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them what's going on in their hearts and their minds i mean are they not sinners (laughs) well they think they have the law and the law is given to them and they think that they have it to be righteous well we will obey the law which includes the sacrificial model as well and if we obey the law we'll be righteous so why is jesus hanging out with all these publicans these tax collectors these sinners i mean ridiculous they're self-righteous because we know that the law brings sin and death it doesn't make anyone righteous it actually condemns us it causes us to be sinful jesus says at the end of this text just so i tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance I wonder just a little bit there whether he's referring to those Pharisees. He wants repentance. He wants genuine faith. Not a bunch of people just trying to be good. They think they're good, think they can be righteous. He wants real repentance. So, point number one was God seeking the lost, shows us his heart. Point number two, man's repentance leads to much rejoicing in heaven as we begin to wind out this message i want us then to consider the thing that sits at the heart of this message for us god is seeking there is rejoicing but in the middle there's repenting i think repentance has become a kind of simple word that churches just give out bit like John the Baptist perhaps, repent, repent, repent. I mean, it's true, but we perhaps don't stop often enough to consider what repentance really is. Sometimes it's given out as if it's just a mechanical thing. Obey, obey, obey. And that's right, isn't it? We should be holy as he is holy, First Peter. But obedience isn't easy. Should we just force ourselves to obey? I think there's times when we do need to do that. We do need to say, I've got to obey here. I I, I mustn't disobey at this point. But if I'm not careful, the power in that will be me, will be my works, which will not work. (laughs) It will fail and cause me to need to repent. So we must consider, I think, what repentance really is. And in just trying to work this out, I've discovered it's super complex. It's really deep it's profound I want to encourage us today to really listen to this and work at this depth in our lives because I think it matters it makes a difference it's not primarily an action of obedience well what is it then Sam it's primarily the result
1: the outworking of a change that's internal in my heart definition in the bible the greek word is metanoia it literally
2: means a transformation a change of heart some people describe it as a change of direction over here we have sin sinful life not knowing christ or perhaps claiming to know christ and yet not obeying in the middle we have repentance is a change of heart and over here we have holiness hallelujah we just go like this right oh it's great actually it's all over the shop <laughs> the reality is we need to keep repenting so if we don't know what this heart of transformation is and change we're not going to get it and i just want to drill down to three aspects of repentance or the two that give rise to genuine repentance so that we can understand for our own lives and as i go through this i want you to think of yourself in your life whether repenting just become a glib expression
1: think about the way that we communicate to one another and to god i want to say that there are three things that need to go together here one is acknowledgement knowing
2: acknowledgement to know something and to express what it is we know and we can say father have mercy on me i'm a sinner and that's true at a, a level of acknowledgement. But we can also go on to say what the sins are. If we're Christian and we're struggling with sin, and we do, and we desire rightly to repent, then maybe we need to say what the sin is. Father, so I am a sinner, but here's the example of my sin. I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z then we need to understand the significance. We need to acknowledge the significance. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Acknowledge the sins. Acknowledge the significance to who? To God. The Bible does say that we are to confess our sins one to another, but ultimately, the confession matters when it's directed to God. We understand the significance. And if we get that right, We really stop and think about who we are, what we're like, what we're doing that's wrong, that we want help from it, our confession changes. Our confession changes. It becomes linked to the acknowledgement of who we are and what we've done and the significance of that. Guess what happens then? Our repentance changes. Our life changes. Our effort changes because something's happened in the heart. Not just parroting phrases. We've reflected on our helpless estate. It's not enough, is it, to just say sorry? It's not enough. We've got to go deeper. We have to ask, what's really going on when I'm sinning? Came up with a little example for us to try and understand that and more simply it's deep it's profound it's essential you're coming to church and you're just going through the motions and there's no genuine transformation in your life then you probably need to consider whether you've repented and come to christ at all so my analogy is the analogy of me a dad one of my children i've got four daughters as most of you know and my daughter we won't say a particular one uh, comes to me and says, Sorry, Dad.
1: Sorry. Well, the response might be, What for? Well, I did something wrong. Oh, really? What did you do that was wrong? Well, I poked my sister in the eye. I'd stop there and say, Okay, there's a bit
2: of acknowledgement of sin, acknowledgement that it was wrong
1: acknowledgment that we want to say sorry we can see see that sin has occurred and we can stop there if we want
2: but what about if we go further what if we ask the question why did you do that why did you poke your sister in the eye we're getting something deeper now we we're drilling down to something more fundamental because she had the chocolates and I didn't talking about young kids not 20 year olds hopefully although who knows oh wow now we're getting to a, a more profound level of confession about specific sin she had something and I didn't we could stop there couldn't we or we could go further and we could say really what's wrong with that what's wrong with that sin perhaps the answer would
1: be well dad you love my sister and i knew that that would make you angry
2: now we get into the very depths of this problem And again
1: we could stop there what about if we go one step further so why did you do it then you knew it was going to make me angry it was going to offend me Why did you do it? the answer has to be at that point, doesn't it? Because you don't matter to me. That's the basis of sin.
2: Thanks for the apples. Thanks for the trees. Thanks for the Garden of Eden. It's just amazing. Everything's good. But I just wanted the apple or whatever fruit it was. I just wanted to do what I wanted. You don't actually matter to me. That's the nature of it. That's the nature of sin. If you get to that point, then you're really getting traction on who you are. And you should be able to really start to acknowledge your state as a sinful person. You should start to acknowledge what it means to God, the significance to God. Psalmist David, The king, David, whom I love and admire in the Bible, incredible man of God, did some terrible things. In fact, to be honest, they all did. These things are are really bad. He committed adultery. You can read that in different ways. He um, killed the adulteress's husband. murdered him. He had an illegitimate child with, with her. He forgot to go out to battle he forgot to let the ark go out to battle in other words he let the battle happen without god that's what that means he sinned terribly if you read his psalms and dave actually gave us a beautiful psalm this morning about just confessing to god david says in one psalm i have sinned against you and you only What an extraordinary acknowledgement, right? He sinned against many people, and yet to him, he gets the significance of his sin to God. I
1: sinned against you, and you only. That's how big a deal sin is. When we come to Christ with a true acknowledgement of not just what we did that was
2: wrong, but why we did it, our confession changes. Our acknowledgement leads to real confession, and the result is genuine repentance. Not mechanical parroting of the right words to say in a prayer or in a church context. Genuine repentance. Not just, I'll do better, I'm really sorry. Not just an effort to obey, but a heart full of genuine sorrow.
1: And when that happens, is rejoicing in heaven. Rejoicing in heaven. You might already be a Christian. You might have
2: heard the call. You might have been sought by Christ and laid on his shoulders. The lost sheep that was found, the coin that was found, the prodigal son that returned, that might be you today, but you might be struggling with sin. There's never a day goes by without sin well i do pretty well you might say really i will the greatest commandment is to love the lord thy god with all thy heart soul mind and strength and love thy neighbor as thyself you're telling me you can do that every moment of the day no and some people are caught up in vice-like sins habitual sins and they struggle with them in that case god continues to seek you That's one of the reasons we come to church, to be corrected, rebuked, admonished, encouraged, exhorted,
1: right? That's what we're doing here, isn't it? Is that what you're doing here, or is it just me? What's your confession like? You might say, well, you know, good some days. Well, just
2: pause, read the Word, read the Psalms, consider, acknowledge who you really are, what's really going on at the base of that sin. You don't matter to me, God.
1: And then I guarantee you, I guarantee you, your confession will be more heartfelt. You'll
2: move through to genuine repentance. If you've never come to Christ here or online or later on the podcast, if you've never actually repented to the point that you come to
1: Christ, then I want to say this to you The God of heaven.
2: Splendid, majestic, beautiful, sovereign, speaker, and the world exists, came into this world to seek and to save the lost.
1: The good shepherd came for the lost sheep. And that seeking ultimately then and now is through the cross. Seeking is cross-shaped. His calling is cross-shaped. He's not calling you to good works. He's calling you to repentance. Because that's where good
2: works will come from. And so if you don't know Christ, he's calling you. He's seeking you. Come. Confess who you are. Acknowledge who you really are. And when that happens, there'll be great rejoicing. And ultimately, you will have the greatest satisfaction and joy that you can
1: ever have. If only Adam and Eve had known that. (laughs) Of course, God's foreordained plan was different to bring him glory. Let the shepherd find you. Let
2: him carry you on his shoulders. Let him bring you back to the fold. Listen to the gospel. He loves you. But he's saying to the sheep, I love you. I've come, I've come for you.
1: Died for you. Paid the price for you. That's his heart. He
2: could have just not. He could have just said, I'm not going to find Sam. I, I, I'm, it's too hard to get him. I'm going to leave him. I, I don't want him. But he found me. Listen, friends, you live in a world where God seeks the lost, but the lost don't seek God. That's the state of the world, isn't it? Who is really seeking after God? You. Take stock today, whether you're unsaved or saved. Take stock of who you really are. Take stock of what your life is really like. Acknowledge it, confess it, and beg for mercy. And not only will you be saved, Not
1: only will he be brought back to the other sheep, the fold, there'll be great rejoicing.
2: The Son of Man will rejoice. I'm just going to read some of the extracts from the passage that Dave read in Ezekiel. If you will, just rest and pause and think of what we've gone through this morning.
1: Consider your situation, but consider the heart of God and then I'll pray for thus says the Lord God behold I I
2: myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak
1: and the fat and the strong I will destroy as I will feed them justice let's pray well god and our father i thank you so much that uh,
2: you didn't leave us helpless wandering scattered lost sheep but you by your grace sought us you were diligent you were persistent because your heart is a heart that loves us and lord we weren't deserving in any way Lord, I thank you that you have shown us something of ourselves. That you have caused us to acknowledge the significance of that sin uh, to you. And Lord, that you have caused us to repent. And I pray, Lord, as this week unfolds, that you would cause us again and again and again to consider you have sought us and continue to seek us. And that we must die to self
1: and live for you through repentance. In Jesus' name, Amen.